0: Turning your Bibles to Luke 5, we're continuing, of course, our study of the sayings of Peter, and there are a number of places we're going to look at and make application. We're sort of at the beginning, the beginning of Peter's ministry, and what we're going to do is start there and go all the way to the end and look at different things that he said. When you look at Peter, we see Peter, he's a leader. He's called the rock by Jesus Christ. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's in the inner circle, which there were three people in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So, I mean, he's he's in there. He's everything that you could want to be if you were an apostle living at the time of Jesus Christ. And so uh, when you think of Peter, you always think of uh, good things that he did, how he's a leader in the rock, and then we also think about the times that he messed up. And so all that does is just say he's the exact same as us and we're the exact same as he is. And there are times we're going to do good things. There are sometimes we're going to mess up. And uh, so let's start and let me, let's raise this first question basically. Whoops. Uh, oh, I was going to... Uh, oh, oh, I was going to begin to do this. When we look at it today, Peter tells Jesus to leave. Why? What's going on? So anyway, let's let's get into it. What is a professional? We'd say a professional is someone who's not an amateur. Let's put it that way. And usually, a professional is somebody that gets paid for what they do. Whether it's a pro football player, or a golfer, or tennis, or whatever. It could be that. If somebody, sometimes people say, "Well, you're a pro," and they mean you're really good at something. And uh, and so uh, you know, there's. Things out there called fishermen. They're professional fishermen, people who earn money doing fishing and everything. When you think about it, what was Peter? What was his background? What was his job? What did he do for a living? He was a fisherman. Think about this. When you think about Paul, he was a a teacher and a tent maker. John was a fisherman. Luke was a doctor. What was Matthew? Matthew, Levi. What was he? Tax collector. Ezra was a scribe. Daniel was a statesman, although we call him a prophet. He was a statesman. Cornelius was a soldier. So we start going through this. Well, when you think about Peter, Peter was a fisherman. He and his brother Andrew made their living by fishing, a professional fisherman. Well, this morning, in Peter's first statement about Jesus, it all centers around fishing. The whole thing centers around fishing and what Jesus says to him at the end and you you know the story so it's not these are not new it's not a surprise but we're going to see it as we go through it we're looking at a number of statements that Peter makes and we take those statements and then we make application let me remind you the outline of, of this study. It's a lot more detailed than this, but, uh, and I didn't put it up. I think it was on the back of last time's handout. And I even uh, it, I put 10 things on there, but there are more than 10 sayings of Peter. So uh, that was just uh, some of them are grouped together. We see his background, his sayings, his call to ministry, how he grew in Christ, Peter's failure, and Peter's restoration. Those are all going to involve things that Peter said and that we can make application. Peter was a leader of men, an apostle, One of the 12, he was apostle to the Jews. He actually was the one that, this is gonna sound weird to you, but he actually is the first person to take the message to the Jew, to the half Jew and half Gentile Samaritan and to the Gentile. He was the first to take to all three groups, and we'll talk more about that as we get into where Jesus says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. What does that mean? And we'll talk about it later on. That'll be a little bit further on down. When you think about Peter, and especially sayings of Peter, sometimes he says something good like, you are the son of God. And then sometimes he says something bad like, we won't let you die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So there's a lot we can learn. And when we think about it, we see that uh, uh, what what Peter said and what he did. We started by saying, looking last time, that Peter meets Jesus and Peter's called by Jesus. And that's sort of where we are. And uh, we saw that uh, uh, he followed Jesus and Andrew followed Jesus and went and got Peter and brought him to him. And here's what he said. He said, Peter, your name is Simon, but you're going to be called what? What's he going to call? Cephas, which means what? The rock. And so... Jesus saw what Peter would become. Now, we talked about this last week, and I think it's really important. When Peter came to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you know, just, he said, You are Simon, but you will be the rock. You're going to be called the rock. And what God does is he not only knows what we're like, but he knows what we're going to be. Because his plan is to conform us to the image of his son. His plan is that we'd grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And so I think it's so powerful that when God sees us and not just what we are right now, or even what we were a long time ago, but what we're going to be. So we're going to see Peter's first saying. And Peter's first saying is really Peter talks about himself. You're in Luke chapter 5. I think if you're following on your chart, you're now slipped over to the, the page that has Luke 5, 1 through 11 at the top, which would be page 3, which is actually page 2, just so that we're not confusing you, or maybe we are. I and mean, anyway, so think about it. Here's Here's what's going on. Look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 11 verses, basically, and see what Peter says. I think it's a special passage. Now, it may surprise you because I'm going to I'm gonna say some things, and then I'm going to give you some background that you may not have thought about, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, now Jesus has come down. He's come near the Sea of Galilee. He's there, and, and everywhere he goes that people want to get close to him and want to touch him, we already know that he came out of Capernaum, went to a house. People all came to the house. He walked out and healed all these people. So everybody knows that Jesus is healing people. He's doing miracles. He's teaching with authority. Nobody else teaches with authority like Jesus, they will listen to him and they'll say, We never seen anybody like him. I mean everybody else just kinda of talks. He teaches with authority. That's because he is the living word of God. And so he's there and so while he, he comes to the to the Sea of basically Sea of Galilee, while this was happened, the crowd was pressing around him. And he was listening to the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret is just a different name for the Sea of Galilee. They had a number of different names for that sea. Gennesaret is one of them. And so he's there, and he's speaking there, and all these people are there. And he saw, verse 2, he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Now, I want you to see this. Jesus was speaking by the sea and the crowd formed around him and he saw two boats and the fishermen were out washing their nets. What, what were they doing washing their nets? What's this about? Anybody know? What had they done? They had been fishing. All, all, usually they fished at night, by the way. A lot of times we think about going, but they fished at night. Then they came in early in the morning. They'd wash out their nets, get everything ready, and get ready to go out the next night. And, and so Jesus is there, and he sees a couple of these fishermen. They're washing their nets, getting ready. And so basically, he basically says, Can I borrow one of your boats? I need a boat. And so it says, He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. This is Simon. And asked him to pull a little way from the land. And he sat down and began to teaching the people from the boat. Now, watch what's going to happen. So he, he got in the boat and began to teach. And when he had finished speaking, now, when it, we don't have a record of what he said, at least not in the Gospel of Luke. There may be one of the other Gospels that give us a sort of the same type of idea and maybe what Jesus said that day, but we don't really have it because he's in the boat. A lot of times we'll have where Jesus was standing on the shore and talking. This one, he's actually in a boat talking to the people. And here's what he says. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, you know, basically, he says, push out, cast your net down for a catch. Now, the fishermen, they're professionals, right? They, They fish all the time. That's what they do for a living. And they know that you usually fish at night, and they've spent all night fishing, and they really did what? Caught nothing. So it's not been a good it's not been a good night. There's not really any fish around there apparently. And when Jesus says push out and do that, they're probably thinking to themselves, you're not a fisherman. I mean, your daddy was a carpenter. You best we can tell, you, you're a carpenter. We don't know that much. I mean, what what we hear about you. And uh and and by the way, in just a minute, they know more about him than we think they know right here. I'll give you more details in a minute. But Peter says, well, Oh, well, we, you know, and Simon said to him, Master. Notice he calls him Master. We worked hard all night and caught nothing. And so he's really saying, you know what you're asking. You're asking us to do something. We know we already tried it. And there's nothing. But, but I will do for you as you say and let down the nets. Now, he says, you know, I trust you. Now, we're going to come back to this in a minute. Why does he listen to Jesus? Do you think this is the first time he's ever seen Jesus? No, it's not. In fact, we're going to see in a little bit what what's already happened. But he says to him, "But but 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 I'll do whatever you say, and I'll let down the net." Now uh, we could say it this way: How would Peter the pro respond to the amateur <laughs> who says this? You know, he said, "We caught we did all night long." Peter speaks to Jesus. We caught all night. We call nothing, but we'll do what you say. You know, sometimes in life, the Word of God tells us that principles and truths that are really contrary to the culture, right? Now, these are right, but sometimes people could say, but everybody else does this. So what does God's Word say? That's what we have to go by. So anyway, look what happened. When they had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and the nets began to break. I mean, we're not talking about a little bit of fish, there's so many fish that, that the nets, you can't even hold them all. And then it's like the nets are about to break. I mean, it is so much. And so look what happened. They signaled to the partners. By the way, Peter and Andrew were partners with James and John. Now, the best we can understand, James and John's daddy was wealthy because he had more than one fishing boat. This is, they were two or three, probably three or four or five boats. And Peter and Andrew worked most likely for James and John's father. And if you remember, when Jesus was arrested way at the end, and John got in to see, he got into the high priest's house because he was known by the high priest. When Peter tried to get in, he couldn't get in, so John went back out and said, let him in and let him in. So John's family, James and John, were probably wealthier people than Andrew and Peter. And so look what happens when Peter's in the boat with Jesus and they throw the thing down and all of a sudden they can't even pull it up. And, and notice what happened. They signal to their partners, that's James and John, in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they begin to what? To sink. I mean, we're not talking about a little bit of catch. We're talking about something huge. And, and think about this. So the nets were about to break and the boats began to sink. And so this is a huge... catch. They probably in their whole lives have never seen anything like this. They have fished all their lives and they have never had a catch like this. They've never had a catch that when you put, start putting the fish in the boat, the boat begins to sink down in the water because it's so heavy with the fish. What does Peter realize? This man... Jesus is the one who brought the fish, and he's no ordinary man. Now, he already knew this, but, but we're going to see what he says, what he does, how he thinks, because he's realizing who is Jesus. And, and I'm going to give you some background in just a minute because he's already, he already knows Jesus. You know, it's not, it's not when Jesus saw him, he went over and he says, y'all have never seen me, but I'm going to borrow your boat. They knew who he was, by the way, and we'll talk about it, and I'll show you how in just a minute. So anyway, they they signal for the partners to come, and the boats began to sink. And he realizes, Peter realizes this Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He he already grasped it, but he hasn't really put it together. You know, sometimes we learn things slowly. We may learn something in the Bible, and we go, okay, I got it, I got it. And then as we study something else, and we go, wait a minute. This fits together. I see how this works now. And so we gain more information. We're going to realize that Peter most likely has already believed in Christ as the Messiah and the Savior. That was at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. That's already happened. If you remember at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, Jesus turned the water to wine, and it said, those men believed in him there. So I think Peter's already believed in him, but he hasn't put it together. I mean, think about this. What have you heard all your life if you're Peter? You heard all your life that one day a Messiah is going to come. A Savior is going to come. He's going to be the son of David. He's going to defeat the Romans. He's going to set up a kingdom that will never end. And then here this guy shows up uh, pretending to be a fisherman. No, You know what? He shows up and he meets this Jesus and, and Jesus changes the water to wine and he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, but he hadn't put it all together. And the thing about this, you hadn't put it all together. There's things in the Bible that we'll look at and we'll go, I have never seen this before. Think about how many Christians have never put the end time events together. There are people who are believers that if you start talking to them about what's the next event, and they, they have no idea what you're talking about. There are believers who've never put together the gospel message. They believed in Jesus at some time in their life, but when you start talking to them about what must a person do to have eternal life, they can't even tell you. Because sometimes it takes a while to put things together to be taught. And Jesus is fixing to teach these guys. And so he gets the load so big and and, uh, and they're going, oh, my gracious. What does he say? Look at verse 8. But then Simon Peter saw that. He fell down at Jesus' feet and said, oh, I love you. I don't want to ever leave you. Is that what he says? No. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me. What? What? When he came face to face with Jesus and realizing who he is, what happens when you come face to face with the perfect, righteous God? What do you see? You see your sin. Look at this. The perfection of Jesus Christ, his glory as the only perfect, sinless person. And we realize our sinfulness that we have really no right to be what? I don't have the right to... be. You can't... You know, the Bible says come boldly to the throne of God. Why? Because God... Jesus is going before us. You can't just come boldly to the throne of God if you didn't have Jesus. You can't. God is God and we are not. We are fallen and sinful and if you look at God and you look at us, what do we say? We say, we're pretty pitiful. We're pretty bad. What did Isaiah, the great prophet say when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? What did he say? I am a man of unclean lips. and And... God sent an angel over there and touched his lips and said, now, now you'll speak for me. What do we do when we see how perfect Jesus is? We don't measure up, do we? That's one of the reasons that when we see the perfection of God and we see the sinfulness of man, we realize we need a Savior. Because you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You You can't do that. And so when Peter says it, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He says, Lord, I don't even have the right to be in your presence. What a great contrast. Let me, let me look at this. There are two things here. There's Jesus' perfect sinlessness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God have made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus never sinned. There's a time Jesus talks to all the religious leaders and he says, Which one of you, which one of you accused me of sin? Not a one of them said anything because they knew he never messed up. Think about growing up with Jesus, never sinning. He was a perfect young man. I think he's like one of my grandsons. He's just perfect as can be. And uh, Right? I mean, think about it. So here he is. When we see Jesus and who he is, the spotless Lamb of God, what happens? We see our sinfulness. We've all sinned in what? Come short of the glory of God. When Daniel saw the perfect, righteous Jesus, he fainted. When Moses saw him, He took off his shoes because he said, you're on holy ground. When John saw him on the island of Patmos, he fainted. When Isaiah saw him, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. When Peter sees who he is, he says, you ought to leave. I, I don't need, you don't even need to be around me. And see, sometimes we think that. He saved us. He's given us eternal life. He's given us his righteousness. And sometimes we think that God's too good to use us. No, he loves us beyond we could imagine. He would take us and use us for his glory. So let's see what happens. So, what is the response? What is our response when we see him? We realize we've sinned. We've come short of glory, God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We need a Savior because we can't save ourselves because the wages of sin is death. And let me tell you something. Even in the Christian life, it's the same way. When you see the holiness of God, we recognize that we can't measure up even in the Christian life. That's why you cannot live the Christian life in your power. You have to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. So we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's no way that even in the Christian life that we look to ourselves, can we have victory. We just saw the mighty men of David, and now all these mighty men, they won great victories because it was God through them. And the only way you can have great victory, the only way you can serve God is God through us. In the sense that we sin and come short of God's glory, we need a Savior. And the wages of sin is death. And then, by the way, in the Christian life, the wages of sin is death. And when you sin, you're separated from God. How does, and I've got it on your little handout here, how does God save us? We've talked about this so many times. What is the message? It's John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The message he gave his son to die and rise again. The response is to believe in him that whosoever would believe in him, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you're saved through faith, would never perish but have what? Eternal life. John 5 24, truly, truly, here's my word and believes him who sent me, has present tense, eternal life. Here's something we never take for granted. God loved us, sent his son to die and rise again. Anyone who will believe in him, not works but faith, will never perish, but have what? Eternal life. And when Peter would say, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, he's already believed in Christ. He's looking at it even in the Christian life and saying, oh, me, I can't even be around him. He's so good. And we would say, I, I believe in Jesus Christ for, as my Savior because I've fallen short of God's glory, but even in the Christian life. Now, does God want us to say, go away, God, because we're not good enough to be with you? Is that what he wants us to say? No. No. He wants us to draw near to Him. He wants us to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. He wants us to live out who we are. He wants us to be lights. He wants to do. He wants us to do all the right things. Notice what Peter calls Him, but Simon Peter, verse eight, fell down and said, "Go away from me, Lord." He calls Him Lord because He knows who He is. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In both salvation and Christian life, we realize we're sinful, but but. We serve a holy God, and he's there. Now notice verse 9. For amazement had seized him and all his companions. Why? Because of the catch of fish which they had taken. He realized, look, this, this, this Jesus is who he said he is. And, and let me just tell you, he's already been Peter and Some of these others have already been with Jesus in Cana of Galilee. If you read the Gospel of John, this happened very early. They've been in Cana of Galilee. They saw him change the water to wine. That passage at the end of that passage, chapter 2, they've already believed in Jesus for eternal life. They already have. So you say, well, what's Peter doing here? When, when Jesus got in his boat, you can see Peter just thinking out loud. And then when he did this catch, he realizes, listen, oh, I, I don't even, I can't, I don't deserve to be. I don't deserve to be with you. And we could say the same thing. We could say, is God perfect? Do you have God's perfect righteousness? Yes. Do you have God's perfect experiential righteousness? No, we don't. So when we look at God who's perfect and we who are sinful, we might say, I don't think I deserve to be around him to be his child or to be used by him. But God has a plan. Peter says, depart from me. He doesn't deserve to be in his presence, but he calls him Lord. But everybody's got amazement. But look what, Jesus has a plan. Notice what he says. He says, and there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were there with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, I got a plan. I got a plan. From now on, you will be catching men. You know what God says to us? You may not deserve to be in the presence of the perfect living God, but he has a plan. And he says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to catch people. That's your job. Peter has a plan. I mean, God has a plan. They, they left it, They left everything. You will be catching men. Let me put something back. Do you notice I put it like this way on purpose? When if you read this in English, James, John, everybody's there. And Jesus says, do not fear from now on. You will be catching men. You assume he's talking to all those men. You will be catching men. It's singular. He's talking to Peter. Now, that doesn't mean the rest didn't believe it and follow it because they're going to all get up and leave. They're going to all leave everything. But he turns directly to Peter who just said, depart from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. He said, you will be catching men. I have a plan. have a plan for you guess what he got a plan for you wherever he put you where are you right now you're at this place in your life at this time in your life to be a servant of jesus christ if you have believed in him for eternal life you could say i don't deserve to serve him or to be with him and he says i got a plan my plan is you will serve me you will serve me. Look what it says, verse 11. And they brought their boats to land, and they left everything and followed him. Can you imagine Zebedee? Zebedee was the father of James and John. And they all come in, the two boys, James and John, Peter, and maybe Andrew was there. He's not listed. And they get up and leave. And they say, we're gone. And you can see the daddy going, what what are you talking about? We're leaving. We're, We're following him. We're gonna go, we're gonna catch people and not fish. And you can see Zebedee go. What am I gonna do? You boys can't just leave. And they left. Because sometimes in our lives, we realize that Jesus is first. And that we talked about it in our first service about offering your life to God as a living sacrifice. This is not salvation, this is service. Salvation is a gift, this is service. And we say, We leave everything and all that means is we say god take my life i'll go wherever you want me to go i do whatever you want me to do just take my life use me for your glory i know i don't deserve to be with you but you have a plan and the plan is i make disciples that's the plan so realize and let me just look at the clock we're okay realize that they left everything to follow jesus this is discipleship this is called a ministry don't confuse this with salvation this is not salvation Salvation is not discipleship. Salvation is not leaving everything. Salvation is taking a gift. Salvation is receiving. Discipleship is giving. They're two different things. Every one of us in this room, we receive the gift of eternal life by faith. In discipleship, we say, I give you my life. I want my life to count for you. This is the call to discipleship. And he says, for now, you, Simon, will be catching men. And the rest of the guys obviously thought, hey, he means the same for us because we're we're quitting too. We're quitting fishing and we're going to start fishing people. That's what we're going to do. And they brought their boats to the land. They left everything and followed him. So let me give you some thoughts. First, Realize we need a savior, we do. I and mean, when you start thinking about it and you look at it, we take a good look at Jesus, we're sinners and we fall short of God's glory and we need a savior. And that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ, it's not by our works or any of that kind of thing. And yet, for us in this room, I hope and pray that every one of us in this room, we say, oh, we've already believed in Jesus. We already realized that we couldn't measure up to him and that we couldn't be good enough and that we trust in him to give us eternal life. Well, then what about the Christian life? what about the Christian life? When we see Christ, we do see our sinfulness. And, and in the Christian life, we say, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? What am I supposed to be doing? And what we're supposed to be doing is catching others. Now for us, that's discipleship. And making disciples involves two things, isn't it? It's evangelism and training. It is leading people to Christ and training and equipping them. And let me just stop because we've got a couple of minutes. I want to remind you when you start saying, why, why do I go to church? Why am I involved in a local body? Well, the first thing is to worship. We come together as a corporate group of people to worship our Savior Jesus Christ. But the second thing is to be trained and equipped. Trained and equipped in two things, evangelism and Training. To be trained in evangelism is to know the gospel, to know how to present the gospel, to have confidence that you can meet with somebody and you can share the good news message of Christ. And I've told you many times, just know John three sixteen, and you got it made. The second aspect of what we're to do is to train others. And if you're going to train other believers, you're going to have to know enough to train them. That's why we have the 2-2 and the four twelve and the, the, the classes on Wednesday nights and all of that stuff and the things that we have on the website. We have all kind of material on the website that you can go get. If you went to SBI right now, just SBI on the website, there's seven different th- pro- there's seven different books you can use. There's the 2-2, two, two, the four twelve, 12 uh, the patriarchs, angels and demons, the t- 12 biblical principles that every believer needs to know, the four twelve dis- discipline for godliness, they're all there. You can go use those. You're going to be trained, and then you train others. And one of these days, our, our time is going to be up. And when we stand before Jesus, he may say, did you train other believers? Did you make disciples? And you'll say, well, I believed in you. You know well that, that's a great start, right? So let's share our faith, let's train others. such, such good stuff.